0: This series, Who We're Becoming, we've been talking about this over the last several weeks. Um, It comes from this focused journey that we have been on to change who we are as a church, to change the DNA of our church, we are becoming something different, something new, um, based on the original prototype. That's what we've been talking about through uh, Acts chapter two. Uh, it was the day one start, the original prototype of the church, and what what Jesus has established for us as, as a church. And there's elements in that passage, and we see it very clearly in Acts two forty two. Let's read it together. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. So we've unpacked all of these areas, these elements, except this last one prayer. Praying is an interesting thing. I don't know if you've noticed this. Praying can really feel strange at times. Um, you know, when you stop and think about it, praying is talking to someone that you can't see. Praying is, is talking with someone who doesn't speak audibly. And so it's a, it's a different experience. If we believe then, if God is speaking to us in prayer, how do we distinguish our thoughts from God's thoughts? How do we know that it's God talking to us and not just us talking to ourselves? Everybody follow me on that? Prayer is a, is a very interesting thing. And then you throw in all the The confusion about prayer that maybe you have had in the past, maybe it's um, things that you've had unmet expectations, maybe you've had prayers that didn't get answered, maybe you have doubt if maybe God is even hearing you, or maybe you have doubt that you are even worthy to pray, all kinds of different things are thrown into this, and then on top of it, people talk weird about prayer. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, people say things like, well, I'll keep you in my prayers, I mean, we kind of know what that means, but does it really mean that they're going to pray for us? Or I'm a little bit confused. Sometimes I say things like, well, I'll pray for you. And you probably are like this too. But like you go the whole week and then you see that person again somewhere and you go, oh, I forgot to pray for them. You know, we, we just don't follow through. We say these weird things about prayer. We think weird things about pray, praying. And many people get confused, maybe you get confused, about what prayer is all about. Sometimes we have these bursts of enthusiasm and we think, you know what, I'm going to get serious about prayer and I'm going to write a prayer list. And then we start praying the list, you know, every day. And then it gets dull and it gets boring and we just like skip it the next time because it just doesn't seem to be working. Paul Miller is an author of a book that I'm reading right now. It's an interesting book. I want you to listen to this. um, American culture is probably the hardest place in the world to learn to pray. We are so busy that when we do slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless. It feels like we're wasting time. Every bone in our body screams, get to work. When we aren't working, we're used to being entertained. So television, the internet, video games, cell phones make free time uh, as busy as work. When we do slow down, we're exhausted by the pace of life. So we veg out in front of a screen or with earplugs, and there is little space to be still before God. It's true, isn't it? I've got some good news, though. In all of this confusion and all of our misconceptions and all of our feelings about prayer, we're not the only ones in this boat. I I began to see this many years ago. We're not the only ones who have struggled with praying. Only ones who are wanting to follow Jesus that have struggled with praying. In fact, if you had a sign-up sheet for the Prayer 101 class, there's some guys even in the New Testament that would sign up for it. Peter, John, James, and a few others. Take a look on your outline, Luke chapter 1, Let's take a look at this. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, read it with me, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't know if you read this statement like I read this statement. In my mind, immediately I'm thinking of all the things you could ask Jesus for, you were asking him to teach you how to pray. I mean, come on, if you could ask Jesus for anything, what would you ask him for? These guys are asking him to teach them how to pray. I think it's because of the results they saw in his prayer life. They saw him pray. They saw things happen. They saw him pray. They saw things happen. They saw what Jesus was experiencing in prayer and what they weren't. Something was missing in their prayer life that Jesus had in his. They witnessed Jesus praying on several occasions and saw things about his prayer life that they didn't have in their lives. One thing, Jesus prayed a lot. If you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read through them, you see that Jesus quite often prayed. In fact, there's one time in Mark that mentions he prayed all night long. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've never done that. All night long in prayer. Jesus devoted himself to prayer so much so that Luke records this in Luke 5.16. Take a look at this one. Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could what? Pray. Pray. Jesus' closest followers saw that prayer was key to his life. And friends, let me tell you something. There is nothing more vital to your life than prayer. I know it's not a fill-in-the-blank on your outline, but you may want to write that down somewhere today. There is nothing more vital to my life than prayer. It's something that you and I need to learn. And so in his time with his closest followers, Jesus spent time alone with them, teaching them some specific things. And what's interesting is in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, these are the last moments that Jesus has with his close followers, the disciples, before he is going to face the cross and face crucifixion and dying. And so these moments that he has with his followers are very key, very monumental moments, meaningful moments. And in this conversation, Jesus highlights one thing. Guess what? Prayer. Prayer. And he begins to describe what prayer is all about. First, Jesus tells us that prayer is a way we show our dependence on God. I think that's the first fill in the blank on your outline. Prayer is a way we show our dependence on God. Prayer is a way of saying, God, I need you. We need you. Uh, In fact, I believe that until we realize that we need God, we're not really praying. It's so important for us to come to that understanding, that awareness. Jesus uses an illustration of a grapevine in John 15. Take a look. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. If you remain in me and follow my teachings, you can ask anything you want, that's prayer, you can ask anything you want and it will be given to you. Wow. So Jesus is saying, if you come to a point in your life when you are fully dependent on me, if you come to this point of depending on me, you're at a point where you can ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. Hmm. Problem is, we struggle with that kind of dependence, don't we? We're a very independent people, right? I mean, especially in American culture. And we all struggle with this idea of being dependent on God. We think we can handle life on our own. We can do it ourselves. I mean, you see it in kids at very young ages where they don't want help. They want to do it themselves. I remember all of my kids, all four, at one point or another, trying to tie their own shoelaces when way before they were ready to do it. And I would ask them, or Didi would ask them, do you need some help? no. And, you know, they would just do this, and it would never tie. They, they weren't ready for it, but they were trying. They knew they needed to, but they never could get it down. We are so independent thinking people. We think we are self-sufficient. And all too often, that self-sufficiency causes us not to pray. We think we can figure it out. We think we can do it on our own. Next, Jesus shows us that prayer is the way We express our needs to God. Not only that we show our dependence on God, but this is a way that we express our needs. Jesus says in John 16, you can go directly to the Father and ask him and he will grant your request because you use my name. Ask using my name and you will receive. Again, we're gonna get to this in just a minute, but that, that last part grabs me so much. When Jesus says, ask using my name and you will receive he's basically saying just ask just ask and see what happens he tells us that prayer is god's chosen method of meeting our needs in our lives sometimes people say well god already knows what i need in fact there's a scripture that says he already knows what you need in matthew 6 and people use that and say well god already knows what i need so why do i need to pray well, if you kind of step it into a family environment, if you as a parent, you already know what your child needs, but you want your child to still ask. You want your child to still be engaged with you. You want to be engaged with them. You want to have, guess what, a relationship with them. And that's what God wants with us. That's what prayer is all about, is having this relationship. See, actually, God set it up in his plan that there are some things that he will only do in your life if you ask. Did you hear that? There are certain things that God will only do for you if you ask. The Apostle James tells us this clearly in James 4 two. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Wow. So there are some things that God will do for you, but you have to ask have to seek him. Prayer is God's way of, of getting us to connect with him on that level. In fact, did you know that in the New Testament, there are 20 different times that we are told to ask, just to ask God, to engage with God in a conversation, asking him to do something. I wonder what you are lacking in your life right now because you simply have not asked God to do it. C.H. Spurgeon is a guy that I have followed for years. He's a very famous pastor in London in the early 1800s. He's quite a character if you ever study Spurgeon or read about him. He once said a quote that I think is just a great quote. God never shuts his storehouses until you shut your mouth. Isn't that good? When we stop asking, God stops doing. But if we keep asking and seeking and knocking, Jesus says... God will still be active. Hmm. Lastly, Jesus tells us prayer is a way we get involved in what God is doing. We get involved in what God is doing. I think this is the most exciting thing about prayer. We can get involved in what God is doing. The creator of the universe, we can step into what he is doing. Look what Jesus says, whatever you request along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, I'll do it. Yes, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. Prayer is God's chosen way to work in us and through us and for us. Matthew 6, 14, out of the message is so good. Look at this. Jesus says, in prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. Isn't that good? If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. What is he saying? Prayer is the way that you get involved in what God is doing. To experience what God is doing, you need to be praying. Not worrying, praying. Not complaining, praying. Not talking to other people about the problems, praying. We have a tendency to do all those other three and more. And we forget that God calls us to ask. He calls us to pray. He calls us to communicate with him in this way. I think that's why the early followers of Jesus were so devoted to prayer. I mean, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, look at Acts 1. The apostles returned to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. They all met together and were constantly united in what? Prayer. Look at that. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. This word prayer comes from a Greek word, prosyuske, which refers specifically to, to corporate or public prayers. This isn't talking about private alone prayer. And that's a very important thing in our private individual lives with God. Very vital. But it's more than that. This is talking about time where the believers come together and pray together. Acts two forty two, we already read it. Look what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, and to what? Pray. Praying. They the believers were praying, committed to praying together. This was heart. This was the heart. This was the core of the first century church. You know, there's so many examples of what praying together can do and what it can do in a culture, what it can do in a city, a a group, a community. There's all kinds of different examples. One example that I came across a couple of weeks ago happened in 1857. There was a church member by the name of Jeremiah Lanfear who became concerned about the indifference of people in churches in regards to the things of God. He became so burdened for not only people in churches but those that were lost without God outside of churches that he wanted to to begin praying together with other believers, with other followers of Jesus. So he tacked up notices all over New York City calling for a weekly prayer meeting on Wednesdays from 12 noon to 1 p.m. in a rented space on Fulton Street in New York City. You can Google this, this is a real deal. The first prayer meeting was on September 23rd, 1857. Guess how many people showed up in the city of New York to pray? Six. Now, I don't know about you, but if I tried to launch this big idea of a prayer meeting in a big city like New York, I would be a little bit discouraged by six people showing up, but not Jeremiah. He knew that God had called him to do this, and so he continued. The next Wednesday the attendance jumped to 20 people. This time they were on time. The first week, the six people were 30 minutes late. So it jumped to 20 people, and it kept increasing and increasing, and soon there were 10,000 men gathered for prayer at 12 noon. They had to get other, sp- other places, other locations. They had to keep moving because the group was growing so large. This began in September. By January, there were at least 20 other prayer meetings in New York City. Newspapers were sending reporters to do headline news on what had taken place, what they called the Fulton Street Revival. Soon, this prayer meeting went to every major city in America and it's been termed in Christian history as the third great awakening that swept through the United States, all because one guy felt burdened to pray. Prayer is an amazing thing when we pray together. It not only changes our life, it changes churches, it changes cities. It can change our nation, it can change our world. It's amazing what takes place. Estimates say that one million Americans out of a population of 30 million at that time were converted in less than two years through the Fulton Street revivals. Amazing. We see the same result in the early church. Look at Acts 2.43. A deep, deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. I read that passage, those two verses this week, and I wrote down in my notes, we need that kind of miracle at Pathway Church, where there was a deep sense of awe of who God is and what he can do, that people are being affected inside Pathway by what God wants to do in their lives, and that people outside of Pathway come into contact with who he is and it changes their life. Hmm. The key in all of this is that you and I, we as a church, we need to become committed to praying together. Um, praying for each other, praying for our church, praying for our community. Friends, there's something that I'm very sure about. I want you to get this down. We will never be who God wants us to be until we are a church who prays together. We will never be who we supposed to be, who God wants us to be, until we are a church who prays together. The needs in our lives are very real. I mean, I look around at some of us here today, others that aren't with us, and I know of the situations that some of you or some of us are facing. I know what you're feeling. I know the overwhelming feelings like I talked about earlier. I know the crisis moments that you are facing in your lives, in your marriages, in your jobs, in situations around you, with loved ones around you, I feel it, you feel it, I know. We know together that we are facing some very real needs right here at Pathway Church. But we also have some very real needs in our um, community around us. And not only in churches around us, but in our community around us. We have very real needs in our nation, in our world, right? I mean, come on. We all know that, that there are needs among us. And I'm fully believing that God wants to answer and do something about those needs, not only in our lives, not only in our church, but also in our community and in our city and in our nation and in the world. He wants to meet these needs through praying people. And I guess my question to us is do we want to be a part of that? I mean, that was the third thing that we talked about is prayer is a way that we get involved in what God is doing. Do you want to get involved in what God is doing? I don't know if you've come to the point like I have, but I'm beginning to realize that I really don't have a whole lot of control of the things that are going on in my life. Anybody else like me in that? It feels like um, it's spinning and I'm trying to catch up. And in that awareness... I realize that God is my source. He's my only source. He's not my last resort, he's my only resort. Because I don't really have anywhere else to go. And maybe you're in a situation like that too where it's, I don't even know what to do. I, I, there, there is nothing I can do other than ask God. Maybe you're there today. God wants to meet our needs. There's a passage about the church that is kind of a, um, I almost said unknown, but it, some of you may have read Ephesians before and you may have seen this. But, but it's, it's kind of a vague passage that I think we read right past if we're not careful. Paul is talking about the church in Ephesians chapter 1, the beginning of this letter that he wrote. And there's, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3. And there's something about this um, this writing that Paul does that grabs me every time. Take a look at what he says. He says, "My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God has been doing behind the scenes all along." So basically, Paul is saying, "My job," I, he says, "my field, that my calling is to help people be aware of what God is doing and has been doing all of this time." And then he continues. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known. Known by who? By those who don't know, by those who are not aware, by those maybe who are not aware that God actually has a plan and is in control of things. Maybe from by those who are not aware that God is actually wanting to be involved in their life and loves them and cares about them. Maybe being known by those that you know that need God, going through situations, people that you know of, that are close to you, that you work with, that need God. Hmm. So, so Paul is saying my job, his job, is, is to help people be aware that God is doing something. And then he says, and God is doing something through the church. Wow. Friends, we've got to realize that God's plan is so big that it requires all of us. All of us. Please don't ever think that you are a non-essential part of Pathway Church, if you attend here. There isn't such a thing. We are all essential. Because God's plan is so big, what he wants to do in us and through us, not just for us, but in us and through us, it's so much bigger than just us, that all of us are required to be a part of what God is wanting to do. He's calling all of us in. No individual working alone can ever fulfill God's plan by themselves takes all of us and and when i read this passage of what paul is saying that through followers of jesus gathered that the plan of god is is becoming known it makes me think of a symphony i mean that's that's where my mind automatically goes that god, that the church is god's symphony now i don't know what instrument you play maybe it's the kazoo you know, or the trumpet or the, the drums or the guitar or whatever, a violin, a cello. I don't know what instrument you play. I don't know what gifting you have, but, but the, the beauty of a symphony is not in just one note. No matter how loud a trumpet can play, the beauty of a symphony is not in one trumpet, right? The beauty of a symphony is heard only when the full orchestra playing together brings out the beautiful harmonies together. This is what the church is. It's what you and me, that's what we are together. Each person must not only play their part, his or her part, we've got to play our parts together to be a symphony. And when we do, it's beautiful. When we, I mean, that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks. When the church flows and works and operates together in the model that God has for us, it's a beautiful thing, right? We've seen that. We've experienced it. I'm very sure for us at Pathway, we will never be fully used by God until we are a church who prays together. We will never become who we're supposed to be, and we will never be fully used by God until we are a church who prays together.